0: Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991; to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, SiriusXM XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: Good morning, everyone. Barry Ritholtz and Sam King Michael McKee off this week. Our economic indicators We'll look for those at 9 o'clock hour. Case Shiller, or economic indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. 866-462-3638. Visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Well, we've got economic data coming up on housing. There's been a Seattle slew of economic data the last few days. Steve Urshuto is with Mizzouo, and we welcome him this morning. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Where Where is our economic data right now? Chair Yellen clearly showed some glimmers. We've seen glimmers. Good job, market, I guess. But recently there's been some challenging data. Which way is it?
2: Well, I think the reality is this economy is just stuck. It, it's just a matter of whether it used to be stuck above 2%, 2 to 2.5%. Now it seems to be stuck in this one and three quarters to, to two and a quarter type growth rate. There has been a, about a bit of modest downshift yeah. in the growth environment. But it's, not, it's nothing to really get worried over at this point. It's just a, a modest downturn. I think a lot of that reflects the change in the expectations of monetary policy, and I think it reflects a lot of what's happening in terms okay. of the currency market.
1: What is the catalyst – that it will be better out X number of months, quarters, or years?
2: It's really a function of two things. It's a function of demand-related policies being implemented globally, and there's starting to be some discussion of that coming out of China and coming out of Japan. It's also demand-related policies being implemented here. Monetary policy has run its course. It really has no more major upside. Is that
1: Yellen's message today?
2: Well, I don't think it's Yellen's message today. Unfortunately, she's probably going to repeat everything that came out of the policy statement, uh, and I don't think she's going to give too much emphasis one way or the other. This is something that she should be doing when she speaks in front of Congress and when she gives presentations and internal responses to questions from members of, of Congress about what they should be doing versus what she can do to contribute to the growth environment.
3: So let's talk a little bit about infrastructure spending, since if it's not going to be monetary It's likely to be fiscal. You mentioned you recently experienced the joy that is Amtrak. Do we have uh, any money to spend over there? What can be done to bring the United States into the 20th century of transport? And I choose that century uh, purposefully.
2: Yeah, no, I agree 100% with you, Barry. Um, There's a lot they can do. I mean, there's a lot of projects that they know they need to do. There's a lot of infrastructure we build in terms of bridges uh, and tunnels and roads that we need to do. There's a lot of simple stuff we do. There's ports that we need to construct and rehabilitate. Um, There's whole coastline developments that we can do. It's just a matter of setting the priority and getting them going in the right direction. Part of the thing that we need to do is we need to begin to focus in on these issues and begin to earmark money that goes for them uh, and really, really make sure that we're getting our bang for the buck in terms of the process. And I think one of the reasons why people are so reluctant to use fiscal policy, we've seen how much pork gets loaded into fiscal policy developments, and therefore people get disappointed with spending that money. Uh, and, and this becomes one of the problems. So it really requires increased controls being put on the spending and making sure the spending is going where it needs to be done, and then you'll get a bigger bang for your buck rather than getting it. Letting it get all you know, kind of diffused out through the pork of politics.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I look at at where we are in the, this. You know, we hear from so many people, Stephen, like yourself, uh, that this is what we need to be done. It has no dovetail with the presidential campaign, with the dialogue of the campaign, and and with any of the back and forth of really any of the candidates. Maybe I would exclude Secretary Clinton from that, where she's trying to do a bigger national view. You know, that may change in the next six weeks or six hours. But where do you have faith that any capital around the world wants to affect fiscal stimulus?
2: Well, again, as I said, I think, you know, you're starting to see some commentary of it coming out of Japan. I wonder whether that's going to be executed properly. And keep in mind, Japan has tried this before and failed. Part of the reason why they failed before is they hadn't corrected their balance sheets before they attempted it. China is now talking about doing exactly the same thing. But, again, China hasn't corrected its balance sheets as well. So, I mean, there could be some positive spillover to global growth, but I doubt if it's going to solve China's problem once they Mm -hmm. correct their balance sheet problem. Here, on the other hand, we have solved most of our balance sheet related problems. I think you will get the bang for your buck. But I agree with you. From the political side, it's very, very disappointing where the rhetoric is going right now and where the focus is right now.
1: I mean, are you modeling sub four percent GDP over the next six months? Uh,
2: Nominal four nominal GDP,
1: yes. That's very. That's. I I honestly can tell you, folks, I never thought I'd say that
3: ever. Sub four percent GDP. Six months. Nominal GDP,
1: correct. Top line. Add inflation. Into real GDP, just as a simple calculation.
3: So within that, what sectors of the economy do you think are potentially uh, the leaders of our three to four percent GDP?
1: Well,
2: that's a good question. I think if you look at it from where we are right now, the real thing is going to be the currency environment. And I think there is a transition taking place in the currency. I think the currency is beginning to shift its focus from nominal short-term interest rate differentials to real short-term interest rate differentials, i.e. those countries which are stuck in deflation, i.e. Japan um, and the region of Europe, I think where they're going to see their currencies on average tend to appreciate and the dollar tend to go lower, and I think that's going to benefit some of the cyclical side in the U.S. economy. Now, this isn't a great stock call. This is a rotational call within the stock market. I think the multiple is fairly expensive where it is right now given earnings, Um, but I do think there is an opportunity for the cyclical trade to continue, although you just had some commentary coming over from other colleagues on the street talking about big potential declines in commodity prices coming down the pipeline. I think the dollar is going to defend us a lot in that regard and keep that from happening.
1: Stephen, thank you so much. Stephen Rusciuto with the Zuo today, uh, some wisdom there as we go to the Yellen uh, speech at the Economic Club of New York. Bloomberg Radio will carry that in its uh, entirety. Futures negative six, Dow futures negative 67, oil down 93 cents now. That's a big move. This hour of Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. To the news, here's Michael Barr.
4: Tom Barry, thank you very much. The Cypriot Foreign Ministry says it's over. A man who hijacked a domestic Egypt airplane has been arrested. Cypriot authorities had ruled out terrorism as a motive. One official says the hijacker was most likely motivated by a personal relationship. Egypt Air Flight 181 was heading from Alexandria to Cairo when the hijacker forced it to land in Cyprus. About 55 people were on board the Airbus 320. A Syrian antiquities official says two days of work has ended with hundreds of mines still inside the archaeological site in the historic town of Palmyra, recently liberated from the Islamic State group. Experts have so far removed 150 bombs planted by Islamic State. Syria's head of antiquities and museums says the technical team could not reach some remote sites because of the mines. South Korea says North Korea fired a short-range projectile from an area near its eastern coast. A Joint Chiefs of Staff official says it is unclear if the projectile was a ballistic missile or an artillery shell. It appears to be another weapons test seen as a response to military drills between the U.S. and South Korea. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom, Barry?
1: Michael, thanks so much. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Report. Here's John Stashar. Thanks, Tom. Seems
0: like it's always something with Matt Harvey. There was the elbow surgery last year, the debate over how many innings he should pitch. When we last saw Harvey in New York, he was convincing manager Terry Collins to keep him in that World Series game that he ended up losing. Harvey now dealing with a medical issue that arose unexpectedly and is not orthopedic related. He may come to New York for more tests. He will not make his scheduled start today. Not known if Harvey can still pitch the Mets opener Sunday night in Kansas City. Latest Knicks loss, 99-91 in New Orleans. Knicks were up 10 and then scored only 10 in the third quarter. Carmelo Anthony scored 22. In the final minute, he was greeted on the court by a young boy.
4: Uh, that, was, that was the first time that that ever happened. surprised very surprised. Very surprised. It's like you were nice to him. was a little kid. a <laughs> Little kid. I, I, I was shocked. I, I, I didn't really know who was it until I actually looked over and saw that it was a it was a kid. So.
0: Nets lost in Miami, 110-99. The dynasty continues for the UConn. Women beat Texas 86-65, off to a ninth straight Final Four, seeking a fourth straight NCAA title. UConn has won 73 games in a row, 119 of the last 120, and all of those wins by 10 or more points. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stachak.
1: John, uh, thanks so much. Uh, lots to talk about this morning. It's been a most interesting day. Let's review some of the uh, news. John Williams of the San Francisco Fed making a routine speech, I guess, in Singapore, but it really garnered some headlines. Maybe not market moving, but uh, he really taking a shot at the idea of the dots having value. He felt they did have value and wanted to walk away from negative rates. Um, as well, some other news flow as well of Europe at all. Really looking forward to the Yellen uh, speech here at 12 noon. We'll see that in about three hours. Uh, always important speech as she speaks to the Economic Club of New York. Futures deteriorate. There's a wait to the tapes of the morning. Oil down 93 cents, 38.46. Barry and Tom Keane. Bloomberg Surveillance.
4: Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by New York Community Trust, where donors like you help them make New York better. You're listening to Bloomberg Surveillance.
0: Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
5: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. Oil leading commodities lower, pulling down the currencies of raw material producing nations and helping to lift government bonds. U.S. stock index futures are declining as well, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down six. Points. Dow E-mini futures down 68. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 10. The DAX in Germany is down two-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 932 seconds. The yield 1.85 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.85 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.4 percent or 94 cents to 38.45 a barrel. COMEX Gold is little change, down 60 cents to 12.21.40 an ounce. The euro, $1.1207. $1. The yen, 113.46. Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco President John Williams saying the U.S. economy appears to be weathering cooler global growth. And he repeated that the central bank will raise interest rates at a gradual pace. Williams made the comments in a speech in Singapore today. Lennar, the second largest U.S. homebuilder, reporting first quarter profit and revenue that beat analyst estimates as U.S. job gains bolstered demand for real estate purchases. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry.
1: Karen, uh, thanks so much. Tom Keene and Barry Holtz. Right now, it is 848 on Wall Street.
0: The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg
6: columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For the past five years, Kansas Governor Sam Brownback has been conducting a fiscal experiment Brownback has pushed through big cuts in taxes on individuals and businesses. The march to zero, he calls it. The theory is that the tax cuts will spur business creation and job growth. How has that been working out? I took a look at the state's jobs numbers since Brownback took office in 2011 and compared them to those of its neighbor to the north, Nebraska, which has a similar economy but has not undertaken a Kansas-style tax experiment. Well, employment has been rising faster in Nebraska than in Kansas. And the growth gap between the two states has gotten bigger over the past year or so. There are lots of possible reasons for this. Kansas has oil wells, and the past year has been tough on the oil industry. Kansas also has a bigger manufacturing sector than Nebraska, and the global slowdown has hurt manufacturers. Still, it does cast some doubt on the idea that cutting taxes, especially in a state where taxes weren't all that high to begin with, is the ticket to economic resurgence. Taxes matter, but other things matter more. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg
1: Terminal.
0: This has been Bloomberg View.
1: And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. What a most interesting day. We've been very heavy on economics with Chair Yellen coming to New York and some of the other news flow out there. Let's switch gears. And let's go over to investment. Barry Redholtz uh, with us, of course, for years, the big picture, really blending in an interesting mix, always centered on common sense, or at least the attempt of common sense. Barry, is it commonsensical to own individual stocks and bonds like our parents did, or do we just give it up and go with managed products?
3: You know, when you look at the academic evidence, when you look at all the research and all the data, As much as it's fun to chatter about individual stocks at cocktail parties and barbecues and as much fun as we have plowing through, and at least for me, plowing through research reports and and quarterly statements, the data makes it pretty clear it's much more efficient, much more cost effective, much more tax efficient to own a broad index and leave it alone for a few decades. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take a small percentage of your portfolio and put it into your favorite sector, a, a tactical allocation, or, or things along those lines. But the bulk of the average investor's money should be broadly allocated to low-cost indices Around the world. Well,
1: let's walk through that. We're going to go through this exercise, folks. If you're bored by it, put both hands in the wheel. Don't take notes. You can take notes off our podcast later. So, if I have an active fund, the average fee is blah blah blah.
3: About one percent.
1: If I have an index fund, the average fee is about ten basis points. So, let's say Ritholtz is wrong and it's not a point nine percentage point per year difference. Let's say it's point five instead of point nine. The difference now, Barry, is there was a time where we made 7%, 8, 9, double digit. There was this belief in in equity returns, in total return in bonds, so that delta in the fee feels differently now than it felt 15 years ago.
3: If the so-called new normal thesis is correct, and, and I have to tell you, I'm not a believer in that. But if that is correct and we're looking at five, six, seven percent growth uh, for an index like the S&P 500 with dividends reinvested versus the past century, which is 9 or 10 percent with dividends reinvested, then even 50 basis points compounded over time makes a, a, a big difference. So there's really two issues we're talking about. One is – Do we ignore a century of data and and pretend mean regression isn't going to happen? Uh, When you look at the market returns from 2000 to today, they are very similar to the market returns we saw from 1966 to 82. Mm -hmm. I think when we finally come out of the other side of what I've been calling the Reinhardt and Rogoff post-credit crisis recovery, The reason this recovery feels so punk is because it's not your usual post-World War II recession recovery. This is a recovery from a credit crisis. And when you look at the piece Reinhardt and Rogoff put out in December of 2007, before we saw the collapse in Bear Stearns and long before AIG and Lehman hit the skids, they said when you have a credit crisis, you should expect – stock markets to get cut in half, real estate to drop by about a third, and the recovery to take at least a decade of subpar GDP, subpar job creation, subpar retail spending. We've had that.
1: I want to switch gears now, but take the same theme over to Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Right now, Wall Street is grasping with what to do with fixed income. This is a huge issue. I would suggest most of the global Wall Street navel-gazing on fixed income is about profitability. It's not about competition or regulation, this, that, and the other thing. How do you make money in a low coupon off a low coupon desk?
3: So if you're looking at fixed income, you have a couple of options. And we discussed yesterday dividends are not a substitute uh, for fixed income. However, You can look at things like municipal bonds, which on a uh, tax-adjusted basis are actually paying a fairly reasonable rate. And you could look at an assortment of REITs in both uh, the U.S. and overseas as another way to get some income without taking a whole lot of additional risk. And risk is the key word there where people get into trouble is where they're reaching for yields by either going further out on the duration curve or further out. On the risk curve, thinking that that those chickens aren't going to come home to roost. We learned in 0809, taking additional risk for a few additional basis points of of coupon is a terrible, terrible approach to to fixed income investing.
1: Yeah, I, I just I, I I think it's challenging. All in all, what do we do if we have a 201K? We, we're, we're not like John Tucker, where he's been on steroids and right incredibly. Fortunate double-digit but, returns.
3: You know the the key factor for retirement accounts is is one number and that's your age to retirement. So if you're 40 years old and you have 20-25 years till you retire, you should be very heavy equities. You should be very heavy uh, global allocation, and you should expect that this is going to be a 401k, a 301k, a 501k, a 201k, and a 601k before you're done. You should expect that sort of volatility. But it's that is why you get returns. If there wasn't volatility, mm-hmm. if there wasn't risk, you know, if you want no risk and no volatility, you get cash, and you lose a little bit versus inflation every year, and that's a money loser. If you want a little bit of risk, well, you buy treasuries, and you'll see 2%, and that's barely going to keep up with inflation. If you want to retire, you have to accept risk and volatility as part of that equation, that means equities. That means twenty to thirty years, and that means you have to be willing to just sequester these uh, portfolios and just wait it out for for the decades.
1: Yeah. I, I, I've been distressed recently at the number of people that have quietly told me they're not retiring, and they they don't. A lot of them are very active professionals. They don't want to retire, but also that dreaded word they can't. Well,
3: that's a dual issue. You have some people who know that as soon as they head to Florida and start golfing, uh, they're on a really short timeline. But the bigger concern is and, – and Charlie Ellis and others have written quite eloquently about this. Yeah. We have a fomenting retirement crisis. Mm-hmm. It is something that we are wildly undersaved for, not just – um
1: Alicia, the upper classes, Minel, the middle yeah. classes especially. Alicia Menel says 81% of Americans are underfunded. Give me uh, 20 seconds here. Masters in business. Uh,
3: last weekend was Philip Tetlock, which was Good. fascinating. We're going to have yeah. him on the show this week. Um, and, and coming up this weekend, we we have um, Tom Dorsey of Dorsey Wright, oh, really? one of the original oh. technicians, yes. create, uh, essentially – Brought point-and-figure yes. charting back. Fascinating, fascinating and conversation.
1: Brought, brought relative analysis. Relative strength. That's relative his core. Strength. That's going to be fascinating. I'm a huge fan of Tom Dorsey's groundbreaking work.
4: Another hour with Barry Reynolds. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.